again for who You are. Thank You that You are the God of all grace. And we ask once again, as we open Your Word, that through the Holy Spirit, You will teach us about biblical grace. And specifically this morning, that You will again open our minds and our hearts to who You are. And help us to know without a shadow of doubt that we can always approach Your throne of grace in our times of need. And, and so, Father, I thank You for Your Word. Thank You once again for our time this morning so far. And we again ask that Your will is done through the preaching and teaching, the hearing and the obeying of Your Word. And all God's people said, Amen. Go ahead and turn to Luke 18. Be there in just a moment. We're continuing our series on grace and an understanding of what it means to be in relationship with the God of all grace. And you see there on your sermon notes, we've been walking through the past uh, several weeks looking at definitions of grace and then looking at inaccurate or false beliefs regarding grace and regarding the character of God that we may have picked up along the way and that even as we sit here this morning may be affecting, may be affecting our relationship with God, right? Because how you view God, your understanding of God directly relates to everything we've already done this morning. Worship, prayer, church attendance, relationships with other believers, all of those are connected to our view of God. And we've been seeing the last several weeks that the essential character, one of the core characters of God is that He's a God of all grace. He's a God of grace. And, and we're trying to work through that, not just here, okay? And that's why we're taking it really slow, but we've got to go from here to here because when it goes to here to here, then it goes to here, meaning it, then it plays out in your life. Then it plays out in your life, right? And last week, if you looked under the inaccurate understanding of grace on the, uh, the first, ha- the first uh, part of the sermon notes, we looked at this last uh, false belief. I must portray a certain image in order to be pleasing to God, right? We've talked about approaching the throne of grace, and, and we're going to look in a little bit, why is that so tough? Why is, it, why is it still difficult to come to the throne of grace, right? Uh, but this, one of them that we saw last Sunday was this idea that I have to portray a certain image, right? And, and uh, if anyone, what's different this morning? No tie, right? No tie. Right. And, and if you were here from the beginning of the, the year, you know, I kind of started I put on a tie for the first time in three years. And it was just kind of where we were. And I was sharing when you make decisions for God, when you make changes in your life, expect reaction. Expect, you know, that that people are going to respond. And that that manifested itself here wearing a tie. But then I shared last Sunday that that my concern as we've been going through grace was that me wearing a tie up here. And then some of you, or all of you deciding to wear ties on one Sunday, right? The, the wear a tie day we had, you know. If we're not careful, we feel like we have to dress up for God. Because in order to please God, I must portray 
a certain image. You know, and, and that can manifest itself in the, how you doing? Fine. How's life? Good. Praise the Lord, brother. You know, and, and, and this, we kind of go over the top and we dress up because that's pleasing to God. Or we can go the other way. <sighs> How's it going? Oh, suffering for Jesus. Suffering for Jesus. And we think that's pleasing to God. That, that you know, it goes both ways. We go over the top. Or to the bottom. Because we think that this sort of image we portray is somehow what, what pleases God. And, and we've seen that grace is unmerited, right? There's nothing you can do to earn it. And, and God is of all grace. He's not so caught up in our image. What is He concerned about? Our heart. Our heart. Now, is there anything wrong with rejoicing? How many of you, if I said, how are you doing with the Lord? You would say, I'm doing pretty well. Good, good, good. Why are we guilty? Someone's like, I don't want to say that because, you know, I, I, if you're doing good, put your hand up and say, I'm doing good. Okay. Now, if you didn't put your hand up, don't feel bad. I'm like, oh, wait, I shouldn't have done that because I was like, oh, man, I didn't put my hand up. You know, why is it that, that sometimes we, we go both ways or, oh, it's not okay to be good in the Lord? It is. Amen? Is it okay to be struggling? Yes! He's the God of all grace. 24-7. It's okay. It's okay. And that's what we're going to look at today. It's okay, right? And we're going to start this image thing. I thought of this parable. Look at this story in, in Luke 18, verse 9. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everybody else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself. God, I thank you that I am not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Right? This, this, this Pharisee thought it was all about image, self-righteousness, works, what I'm doing. What do I look like? What do I sound like? The tax collector beat his breast. He was heart. Oh, Lord. Have mercy on me. Right? And then look at this. People were also bringing babies to Jesus to have him touch them. When the disciples saw this, they rebuked them. But Jesus called the children to him and said, Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. I tell you the truth, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God 
like a little child, will never enter it. Like a little child. He's not talking about being childish. He's talking about childlike. Back in, go back as a child, that period of time in your life when there was simple trust. There was simple dependence. There was simple love. There was relationship. A time in your life where, where if you were happy about something, you could just come home. Guess what? A time in your life when you got hurt. I got an alley. Or I messed up really bad. That childlike relationship we had. And Jesus is saying, come to the kingdom. And we're going to see, come to the throne of grace with that childlikeness. And we've been working through that, right? Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. Come to the throne of grace. Approach continually, what? With confidence, boldly, without fear, without doubt. What? To speak freely in your time of need. Right? We've been, we've been on that verse for a couple of weeks. And this morning the question is, right? If you, if you turn over your, your notes, it says, why is that so difficult? Why, why is that still such a challenge for us? To come to the throne of grace with that simple childlike faith, that simple childlike trust and childlike dependence that, that God so wants. And, and sometimes, you know, it's fear. Sometimes it's things that we picked up about how, how we're supposed to relate to God and how we're supposed to do church. And at the core, the more I've been thinking about this in light of our of our series on grace, it's because we haven't yet grasped fully what it means that God is the God of all grace. God is the God of all grace. In Genesis 1 and 2, we looked at God creating everything, what? And it was good, and then it was very good for whose benefit? Ours, right? And we saw that God said, here's everything, I'm blessing you with this much, just don't do what? One thing. And that God was a God of grace and creation. God wanted to bless Adam and Eve. And He just said, just don't do this, one thing. And sometimes we flip that and we never looked at God as a God of grace through creation. And this morning, I want to look at the fall. And see that God is a God of grace through the fall. If you look on the, the front of your bulletin, I think many of us resonate with this view of Genesis 3. It says, Many Christians have wrong ideas about how God deals with sin and guilt. They think that God came looking for Adam and Eve in the garden, chewed them out, cursed everything in sight, kicked them out of the garden, and locked the door behind them. They view God as one who lowers the boom on guilty sinners. If that is how you view God, my guess is you're having trouble coming to the throne of grace. If you still are, are struggling with that view of God as one who lowers the boom, you're probably going to have a challenge internally at the heart level of coming to Him and just being free to speak freely, right? And so I, wanna, I want us to look at through Genesis 3 because many of us may have 
picked up this view of God, this incorrect view of God, even as we think about what we think about God and how He handled the fall. So turn to Genesis 3. Anybody here ever put yourself in a situation where you wanted to help somebody and you invest in this person and you spend time with them and you counsel them and all this? And then you ever have that person or other people get involved and somehow mischaracterize you to where you're the bad guy? Anyone ever have that situation where you're in there and you know with your heart is right, you know you're trying to help, and somehow or another down the road it got flipped to where you came in and you're just messing everything up. And why did you do that? And why did you stick your nose in there? And why did you, why did you, because of you, did, right? You ever, anyone ever have that, right? I think that's how God feels about the fall. I think somewhere along the line, God's gotten a bum deal with how he handled the fall. Oh, God. Like that quote said, he came in, hollered at him, threw out some punishment, and gave him the boot. And God's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Time out. Let's rewind the tape. Let's look at the fall. Let's look at Genesis 3, knowing that God is the God of all what? As shown in what? Genesis 1 and 2, right? So he's, if he's the God of all grace, maybe he handled the fall with what? Grace. And if we buy into that, and if we believe that here and here, maybe we'll believe that when we fall, God handles our failures with grace. And I was thinking, this, how many of you would say, man, what I've done in my life doesn't compare to what Adam and Eve did? Anyone? Has anyone done anything in here that would compare on the I really blew it scale to what Adam and Eve did. Right? Probably not, right? You, we've, done, we, we've blown it big time. Anyone blown it big time? Now, how many of you think Adam and Eve blew it big time, right? They messed it up for who? Everybody! Right? And if God handled that with grace, how do you think He's going to handle yours? With what? Grace, right? So Genesis 3. We'll start in verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree? And they guarded. We spent time on this, right? Verses 1 through 6. We understand, right? The serpent comes to Eve. We talked before. What did he try to do? What was the core of his strategy to get her to doubt God's character? Once he got Eve to doubt God's character, the next step was to doubt God's word. If you're struggling with obedience in your life, you're struggling with the word of God, you may ask, you want to ask yourself, are you struggling with God's character? Do you really believe he's good? Do you really believe he's gracious? Do you really believe he wants the best for you? It's when we doubt his character that the door the crack, as small as it can be, the crack gets open to doubting His Word. And once we start to doubt His Word, what does that lead to? Disobedience. 
disobedience. Then we start figuring. Then we start calculating. Right? Satan gets in there. Eve, God's holding back something from you. What? He knows you'll be like God. Translated, he's holding back something from you. Sometimes in our, in our relationship with the Lord, sometimes in our battle with sin, it's because we think God's holding something back. And we have to get it of our own doing. It's up to us. So Eve doubts. Eve suddenly discounts God's word with what he said would happen. And she sins, right? And she sins. Now, look at verse 6. It's like, then it says, uh, When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some of it and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Okay. So they buy into it. They doubt. They make a choice. Now imagine this. They eat it, and based on all the lies that Satan had told that they believed, what do you think they were expecting to happen when they bit into it? They were going to be like God. Isn't that what happens in sin? In our life? Hey, come on. You're going to reap the benefit. This is going to be good for you. This is going to profit you. It's going to make you feel good. It's going to make it all go away. When we're tempted... Part of the temptation is that there's an expectation built up that we're going to get something. We're going to get something. And then there's a transition from the period in verse 6 to the first few words of verse 7. Then the eyes of both of them were opened. Can you imagine? Oh, this, Adam, this is going to be so good. Bite this, we're going to be like God. Bite this. Yes. Are you kidding? What did I just do? Are you kidding? Can you imagine what that the, the, the second their eyes were opened to the truth of what they had done and the consequences, how overwhelming that remorse and that shame and that guilt. I've had those moments, not like this. I can't even, I can't even think what theirs was like. You ever had that moment? What did I just do? And I can't take it back. And that what did I just do and I can't reverse it creates this immediate tension inside now what, now what am I going to do? Now what? And Adam and Eve faced a now what moment. Because there were immediate consequences. Verse 7, Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. First thing in verse 7, their relationship was now corrupt. Their relationship was corrupted. Look in Genesis 2. 2.25 The man and his woman were both naked and they felt what? No shame. Before the fall they had innocence. There was a purity. There was a rightness. 
There was no shame. The minute they fall, their eyes are open and their relationship is separated. Now we're, now we're covering each other. Now there's guilt. Now there's shame. Now, now our relationship isn't right. It isn't what God intended. And we're going to have to cover ourselves. And next week, we're going to talk about this idea and why it is, even in the church, we have to cover ourselves. Why it is in the church that we find it difficult to just be real with each other. And we know it goes back to the fall. Now you understand. Now, now this helps your worldview. Why do we struggle with, Bill, this is really what's going on in my life? It goes right back to there. When you're struggling with stuff, and I'm struggling with stuff, and we're dealing with shame and guilt and remorse and conviction, ah, our humanness wants to go what? To cover. We want to cover. And we're going to talk about that next week and maybe into the week ahead about overcoming this fear, even with each other. And you know what the root of it is? Grace. If we can get, grasp grace this way, it's going to flow this way in this room. And you might just find somebody or somebody's here that you get to the place where you can take the coverings off. And if I asked you, Scott, how's it going? You might just say, well, you got a minute? One more? Or, or, or someone here on church? After service has ended, you might tap someone on the shoulder. Hey, hey man, um, can we just pray together? I'm having a hard time. I'm having a hard time. And as we understand grace this way, and it starts to manifest itself this way, the coverings will start to come off. And you're going to find so much joy and freedom in God's grace. And then as we extend it to one another, it's going to be a beautiful thing, right? So verse 7 there was, there was a relational separation at the human level. And then look at verse 8. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked so I hid. Think about this. We don't know how long trans, how, how much time transpired between the first bite and God showing up. But we do know this. Before the bite, whenever God showed up, they were probably happy. They were looking forward to being with God. They were like, God's here again. Yes, let's go. Maybe ran up. Hey, God, how's it going? Yeah, right? Sin. That joy, that peace, that, that longing to be with God has now turned into what? Fear. Hiding. Avoidance. Terror. Isn't that what sin does? In our relationship with the Lord? Right? Where things are going along, maybe we blow it, and we were so connected with church, we were coming on Wednesdays, we were getting together, all of a sudden sin comes in, and it changes what? this relationship first. And we do what our first parents did. We try to hide. We stop coming. We don't answer texts from our buddies. We don't want to go to the potluck. We don't want to go to the bolorama. What are we doing? We're trying to hide. Why? Because we're scared. And what are we scared of? 
Come on, stay there. I'm going to let you answer that. What do you say? God's got all good. And this is why I want to reframe this a little bit because many of you may have read when God speaks to them, but the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Had you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? My guess is some of you have read that as God yelling at them. Where are you? Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from that tree that I commanded you not to eat from? Is that how you read that? Because I knew growing up when I did something I wasn't supposed to that was kind of the tone I was expecting. You did what? Didn't I tell you ten times? I told you, you touch that, it's going to break. Now what happened? It broke, didn't it? Right? And we bring that into God. What if God said, hey Adam, where are you, bud? Note to self, God knew where he was. God wasn't asked about his physical location. That word called, he says, where are you? What he's saying is, where are you? Come give an account. What if God said, hey Adam, where are you? We're used to hanging out. You and Eve usually come running and we, we enjoy great fellowship. Where are you at, bud? What's going on? And he says, I was afraid to... Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? Now, I, I, I love this because what's he giving Adam opportunity to do? Confess. Confess. He's just giving him an opportunity to what? Restore. Come clean. But Adam is so wrapped up in fear, he's not getting that. He's not being received with that, right? And I love this. Okay. How many of you have ever had to admit something that you did wrong? How many of you hated when you had to say what you did was wrong? Right? Rather than just saying, I messed up. Well, what did you do? Look what God does. I love this. Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? What did God just do to help Adam? Confessed for him. Have you eaten from the tree that I have not that I commanded you not? What did he just have to say at that point? Yes. Isn't that awesome? God is helping the guy out. Daryl. Did you eat from the tree that I told you not to eat from? He's, he's, he's helping him to, to restore. He's in grace. He's giving him the right answer. He's giving Adam, he already should be saying, Adam, I know. Wink, wink. Wink, wink. I know what you did. Wink, wink. Did you do it? Isn't that awesome? He already knows. He knows. 
The Bible says there's nothing hidden from His sight. We're the one that get wrapped up in fear and we start hiding. Right? And He says, have you eaten? And good old Adam, what does he do? Right? The man said, the woman that you... Careful, Pat. Careful, Pat. The woman... You put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. So, right, you've heard this before, he's been in church, blame shifting. He blames the woman and he blames God. Circumstance. Because who created the circumstance? God. We sin. Okay, there's, there's three S words that I wanted to put in there. I'll put in there. There's sin which leads to shame, which results in separation. That's the, there's the cycle. Okay, if you're struggling with the Lord, you might be in one of these. If you sinned and you, you grow, you grow, you're grappling with shame and guilt, you've got to resolve that. Otherwise, there's, there's immediate separation. And that wedge can just grow and grow and grow. And God is trying His best in His grace to say, come on, Adam, hang in there with me. Hang in there. Okay. You're blaming the woman and you're blaming me. Okay, right? He doesn't take responsibility. If you're going to restore, if we're going to come to the throne of grace, here's the thing, guys. We have to be humble and we have to accept responsibility. Own your stuff. Own your sin. Because the good news is, First John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us. And... does how many of you ever had kids you know what they did and you just gave them opportunity and opportunity to come clean anyone now wouldn't it have been awesome despite what they did if they came clean wouldn't that have been the greater victory the honesty the truth that wouldn't that have solidified the relationship even deeper grace that's what God's doing here he's working on the heart he's working on the heart he's not just hollering and screaming and throwing things and say get out of here He's working on their heart, right? And he says, Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The serpent, right? And we talked about that, right? Does the devil make me do it, right? The devil made me do it, right? So they both have a hard time accepting responsibility. They blame shift. They're victims. You know? And, and we have to step back and go, Okay, Lord, Wow. You were a God of grace. You were being so gracious there. Because what could God have done after the first bite? Couldn't he? Did he have to show up? No. Could have been a booming voice. You are done. Right? I told you. God proactively comes down. Seeking restoration. He seeks them. Hey, where are you? And if you're running, if you're struggling, if you're feeling separated this morning, God's just asking the same question. Hey, where are you? And by the way, I know. I just want to hear you say it. Because when you get to that place of approaching the throne of grace and you can speak freely, oh, the restoration and the peace. 
and the, the shame and the guilt get removed. Right? And then we learn, right, if you read through the rest of the chapter, uh, God provides the plan of redemption. He talks, you know, foreshadowing Jesus coming, victory, right? There are some consequences, right? Sin always has consequences. One of the lies of the devil is that, hey, this is just between you. It's not going to hurt anybody else. Ever hear that in, that in your temptation struggle? Not going to hurt anyone else. No. Adam and Eve's sin hurt who? We already talked about it. Everyone. The consequences of your sin are not just yours. It can flow out way beyond what you even imagine, right? And then, look at Gen- Genesis uh, 3.20. Adam named his Eve wife, his, <laughs> named his wife Eve, because she would become the mother of all living. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife, and clothed them. Right, so foreshadowing of Jesus, the Lamb of God, being killed. Right, there's a covering. God protects him with a covering, kills an animal. And the Lord God said, "The man now has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever." So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden work the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden a cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way of the cheer life. So how many of you commonly have said, God booted him? God was so mad, he, he, he gave him punishment and he kicked him out. Anyone? Right? And that, that's, that's not uncommon in, in how we view it at the human level. Oh, dude, three strikes, you're... You're done. Right? And we translate this to here. And I, and I had thought about it until I looked at the man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and live forever. I used to think that God was so mad he booted them. God is the God of all what? Grace. Adam and Eve blew it big time still struggled with owning it. God, in His grace, said, Adam and Eve, they ate the tree. If I don't protect them from themselves, they might eat of the tree of life and live forever in a fallen condition with no hope. When God banished them and put the cherubim there, He was protecting them from losing all hope. And sometimes God puts things in your life to protect you from yourself. Because anyone here ever blow it and then try to make up for that blowing it and then blew it even worse? Adam and Eve, oh man, we blew it. Hey, here's that tree of life. Maybe if we go eat of that, it'll all get fixed. And the fixing it would have made it worse for who? Us. They would have lived forever fallen. God in His grace says, you got to go. I mentioned the plan, alright? There's a seed coming. He's gonna, there's, a, there's eventual victory coming. But right now, I'm going to protect you two. You got to go. He was protecting them. He's God of all grace. And He says, approach the throne of grace 
with confidence. Approach a throne of grace boldly. And so wherever you are this morning, God wants to ask the question, where are you? Where are you? Remember the prodigal son? What did the father do when the prodigal son came to his senses and came back to repent? What did the father do? (laughs) Bam! Hey, let's have a party! You might be surprised when you come back to God that he's running and he's been waiting and he throws his arms around you and says, let's have a party, you're back! And how do you know that? Well, in Genesis 3. They blew it. And yet God was still the God of all grace. Amen? Let's pray together.